This podcast is brought to you by MyScoreIQ. MyScoreIQ services are here to help you be prepared when it comes to making big financial decisions, such as buying or refinancing your home or purchasing that new car. Try it out for only $1 for a seven-day trial. You'll receive your FICO scores from all three major credit bureaus, along with active credit report monitoring and alerts for changes to your credit report and possible suspicious activity. My Score IQ services can help you be in the best position possible when you take that step to apply for a home or auto loan, all for $1 for a seven-day trial. Visit MyScoreIQ.com forward slash Todd to learn more. That's MyScoreIQ.com forward slash Todd. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Stocks podcast. My name is Joe. I'm here with Todd, as always. Todd, happy Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday. We usually record on Fridays. So apologies if we miss some exciting news. It's been an eventful week so far, hasn't it? Yeah, if I don't show up to work tomorrow, I'm just going to blame the podcast for (laughs) making me think it's a Saturday, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my bad on that. So we want to, we, we, have to talk about amc because holy cow it's like this is this is gamestop all over again truly i mean i i was saying to todd before we hit record i've i've just had it up in the background on my on my fidelity terminal ever (laughs) for the past uh, half an hour or so and it's gone from down half a percent to all the way up to about plus 10% and now back down to six and a half to seven. And like every tick, it's fluctuating half to three quarters of a percent. It's absolutely insane. That's crazy. It's crazy. It all got going this week when um, they came out and announced that they had uh, sold $230 million worth of shares to Mudrick Capital. And um, that really got people excited because they thought, okay, well, they have an extra 230 million on the balance sheet. Maybe that's enough cash to bridge um, them until, you know, people are coming back and watching movies and buying tickets and buying, you know, refreshments at box office and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe they can pay down some debt, whatever. Uh, But Joe, wouldn't you know it, you know, before the day was out, Mudrick had already sold the 230 million it had bought for a cool 20 to 30% gain. (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a pretty sweet gain. And I if Todd, could you possibly pull up the intraday chart on this? Because it's it's absolute insanity. And I just want to I just want to demonstrate too for our for our viewers who are watching on YouTube and for the listeners, we'll we'll give you a, as as good a walkthrough as we can. Um, but it it seems like on my chart here, it bottomed out around 38 earlier yeah i have the intraday chart up right now uh joe and listeners if you can't if you can't see it we do put put these up on youtube as well just google us limelight alpha talking stocks subscribe and hit the bell that way you know whenever we post something uh but you can see on this intraday chart yeah we we they actually halted it joe at one point today for volatility uh the swings were just so wild but yeah we went from you know, around 10 o'clock this morning, 55, got down four. Wow, actually, we opened down. We opened, you know, 60 bucks to 45 bucks to 55 bucks to 38 bucks to 65 bucks. 
And I think currently we're trading at $67 per share, up 6% as of you know, two o'clock today. If I click over to the daily chart, so you can see this past week's activity, I mean, Joe. That's, yeah, that's parabolic, right? 20 to 70. To the and, moon. And a four, yeah, the moon. <laughs> in four days. And um, I mean, that's great. I mean, this, this is, you know, the, the big question would be, what do I do now if I happen to have caught this, caught this move? I mean, most people, the volume in this, Joe, is absolutely mind-numbing. I mean, there's more, 471 million. There's more, okay, so there's way more shares that are trading per day than actually exist in the wild. So that shows you that this is the day traders, they're grabbing, they're grabbing 20 cents, a dollar over and over and over again. Uh, they're slinging this thing. So, you know, people say, oh, it's a short squeeze. It's a short squeeze. Well, shorts, short, uh, shorts only accounted for like one, less than one day of, of average trading volume. And I think that yesterday, I was listening earlier today to CNBC. I think they said that if every person had covered their short position yesterday, it still would have only equaled one eighth of the volume that traded hands. Wow. One eighth. So this is this has got a life upon itself, uh, life its own. It's 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 like you said, it's game stonks all over the, all over again. And you know, great, awesome. I mean, hey, congrats if you if you're out there listening and you nailed this thing and you rode this thing, awesome. Bring the register, put some of it in your pocket. Um, Absolutely, Joe. We've talked on the show before. Um, you know, I have a I have a rule. You know, sell a vertical sell the vertical. So when you see that rocket ship upwards, <clears throat> take some off, put it in your pocket. You know, you want to, you want to let some ride great, but recapture yeah. what you put into it as exactly. I was about to say that at least cover your cost basis. I, I am unfortunately never thought I'd say I regret not being an AMC, but here we are, uh, you know, 2021, even weirder than 2020. Right. Uh, but yeah, if, if I if I did have money into this, I would definitely be be selling at least what I put into it, and then as Todd said, you can you can let the rest ride. So while we're while we're on the on the topic of of AMC, I I think they're they're in a pretty interesting place right now, right? Because for all intents and purposes, just about every state in the country, at least, and here here in New England included, we're pretty much back to normal. And so I have to think that the, the summer movie season, whatever the heck they call it, I have to think it's going to be fairly normal, quote unquote. Am, am I right to say that? Uh, well, I mean, in the year over year change, doesn't matter, right? You go from two people in a movie theater to four people in the movie theater, you've doubled your revenue theoretically, right? So That's I mean, right. The, the year over year comparisons for this company are going to be crazy. A lot of people want to say, Oh, but it's trading at way more than its market cap was prior pre-COVID. Okay, yes. But valuations reset at different points in life cycles of companies. Just because something was only valued at three times sales pre-COVID doesn't mean that post-COVID it can't be valued at 10 times sales or, or whatever. So I, I think that you have to be careful about anchoring bias when it comes to figuring out what the value should be of a company. When we talked about GameStop, it was the same. I remember us having a similar conversation. Uh, looking, maybe it could trial note, put it in the show notes, Joe, people can go back. Yeah, and I will. Episode. But <clears throat> it was kind of a similar situation where 
people were like, well, what's the value of this thing that's going out of business? But, you know, you can make an argument to say, well, you know, is GameStop worth $5 billion as a company? I, I think that you could make that argument. So then you need, need to then look at AMC and say, okay, well, it's a $25 billion market cap. Can you justify a $25 billion market cap? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you know, if revenue gets back to, they were doing um, on a quarterly run rate in 2019, they were doing 1500 a quarter. Uh, so 1.5 billion, sorry, per, per quarter. So, so 6 billion in revenue. So it's trading four times sales, pre-COVID sales. I that's, mean, that's not that much. No, I mean, you can, you can, I think you can make an argument here that the, the, you know, this company, if it survives, and that's the big F, if it survives, could be worth the money that it's valued on now. But just remember, listeners, that stocks don't go up or down in a straight line. They don't, you know? Um, and, and so I think it's just prudent. The other thing I think it's important, Joe, that we mentioned, and I'm going to share my screen again, because I want to, I want everybody to see what I'm going to, what I'm going to bring up here. Um, I've got uh, seeking Alpha's page up. I pulled up AMC. You can see at one o'clock today, quickly raises 587 million, wrapping up its 11.5 million share equity offering. So they did the Mudrek Capital deal early in the week that got them 230 million. They just went out today and you know issued another 11.5 million shares to raise another 587 million. So, so they're doing the right thing for the market, right, Joe? I mean, they're raising money for their balance sheet. They're taking advantage of the situation that there's demand for the shares. Um, but that being said, when they did, see if this is the right one, when they did the um, offering this morning, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're gonna use it for general general purposes. And the, they also said in their filing that, um, Oh God, where the heck is it? Oh, Joe, I can't find it right now. But oh, bummer. Listen, yeah, listeners, they, if you if you go on and you actually read the filing for the offering, they say that the price of the shares is detached from reality, essentially, and that you could lose everything. You should not buy shares unless you're prepared to lose everything. Isn't so that I, true I think, with any stock? Yeah, but very rarely do you see a, a company come out and, and like bold and underline and say, say listen, buyer beware on, on this purchase. So, um, so on the one hand, I think that it's, it's, you know, it's great. We're in this new environment now where we've empowered, empowered retail investors um, to go out and, and you know, find and, ex and exploit opportunity in the marketplace in a way that's never really happened before. I mean, Joe, back in the olden days, you know, if a mutual fund or a hedge fund wanted to accumulate a position in AMC, they would call up, you know, the sell side brokers, the big ones on Wall Street and say, place an order for 10 million shares. That would have to get worked over the matter of days. So a little bit here, a little bit there, you're calling, you're calling other brokers on the street. You're saying, hey, fill me at a hundred, fill me a hundred thousand shares. I got more coming up behind it, whatever. Um, today, the reason that this is, so that was very orderly. But today, what we're seeing with this with retail investors is they're coming in buying 100 shares at a time or whatever. It's small, very small lots. So they're getting instant filled and they're getting instant filled every time it goes up another penny. So the bid offer just keeps climbing and it just keeps getting crossed like that. So it's 
they've kind of, uh, the retail investors have kind of found a loophole in the way the system was designed to transact for a lot of shares. Because now you've got thousands of investors submitting share, you know, buy me a hundred shares rather than say one really big institution working in order over the span of a week or a month or whatever. Right. Yeah. Just to wrap up this conversation, I just wanted to say that in the, in the time we've been talking about AMC, the price has fluctuated between $60 and $68 and everywhere in between. So good lesson on volatility for everybody. 15% spread just in the, in the 10 minutes we've been chatting. It's, it's mind boggling to just watch this ticker. Like I could do this all day. So let's move on to another uh, fairly late breaking uh, piece of news here, at least in our recording time. I'm going to pull up my screen because I think this is pretty freaking cool. United Airlines has put in an order for 15 supersonic jets from a, an, a manufacturer called Boom Supersonic. Um, interestingly enough, Boom Supersonic has never made a jet before. We were laughing about that before we started recording. But, manufacture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. They're they're not yet a manufacturer. They're a uh, they're they're a they they want to be a manufacturer. So here here we are. It's a it it, it the Concords before my time for the most part, but I've seen them before, and that that looks a heck of a lot like a Concord, doesn't it, Todd? It's almost like they took a picture and then used some Photoshop to change the color. It was just yeah, they might have. Right united on the side. Yeah, they might have. Wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. So but, I know, just wanted I mean, to. Yeah, I never got to ride on a on on one, and um, they were crazy, stupid, expensive. And you know, I imagine that these won't be cheap either. And I don't think right. you're probably not going to have probably gonna be very narrow, one to two seats each side. If you know, maybe even just one seat each side, and probably more towards business class, but it's kind of cool to think, Joe, of um, being able to, I mean, I love the concept, get to Europe in just a few hours. Yeah, it's, it, I was, I was always amazed when I, when I learned about, about the, the Concorde and that it existed for, it was in service for decades and then they got rid of it. And now we just don't have that. And it just takes twice as long to get to Europe. Like, it makes makes absolutely no sense to me that they couldn't find a better way to like manage the manage the noise pollution that was going on over places like New York. So I don't know what their proposed solution is to this, but I I gotta say it's it's really interesting. We've been hearing rumors about about this for months or even years. Um, I, I know there are some people that I subscribe to on YouTube who are um, bit, pretty big into aviation and they, they've, been, they've been kind of dissecting some rumors off and on for at least a year. So it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see uh, what's gonna be different from, from, the, from the previous generation if they have a, a better way of managing sonic booms i don't really know how you get around that but it'll be it'll be it'll be fun to see because i i imagine that there would be demand for the like the biggest issue i i if i recall correctly was back in the day they they couldn't fly these planes out of inland airports so they couldn't fly out of like chicago or dallas or moscow 
because of the noise pollution. So they would have to fly out of like New York or Boston or LA. And I don't think they're going to have any like new, newfound, newfangled way to get around that. Uh, but still would be very cool to get to Europe in three hours. And I just wanted to bring that up because yeah, well, I'm be, just looking it'll at be fun to watch. Uh, obviously not publicly traded, so we can't do anything with that. Uh, Blake Shaw is the founder and CEO. It looks like his chops include leadership roles at Amazon and Groupon. So it's not like he's coming from Boeing. So yeah, I mean, I suppose if you throw enough money at something, you can get the right talent in place and make this happen. Uh, usually, and I, we've seen this in the research, in our industry research, aerospace is very strong. So the way I usually play aerospace isn't through the airlines, is Buffett famously joked that, you know, you want to get poor, you buy an airline. Um, he kind of deviated from that a few years ago and bought some airline stocks for his portfolio. Right. I was about to say. Yeah. But, but he's, he's on record for decades of swearing off the industry. And uh, my favorite way to play airlines isn't, isn't the actual air to play aerospace or air travel isn't the airlines itself. So although there are a few that are high scoring that are interesting, it's more to play the manufacturers. So a name that I own, for example, would be Transdime, symbol TDG. Um, but there's a whole bunch of them in the basket right now, in the aerospace parts basket. Um, so the, I think that that would be my that would be my favorite, especially since they're not even. I think the first delivery wouldn't even be till what was it, Joe? 2020. I think it was 2025 at least. Yeah, I think that's an aggressive goal. So yeah, that does sound aggressive. Um, hold on, let me. Yeah, rolled out in 2025. Oh, oh, okay. Expected to carry passengers by 2029. Okay, that makes more sense. So, so yeah, they're gonna talking. be they're gonna be rolling them off the production line in 2025, testing them for the next few years to make sure that you know they don't fall apart in the sky because they've never made a plane before. Important yeah, well, things. Even, that doesn't even the companies that do make planes. Right. Important things, especially if you're gonna be flying around the the rich and famous across oceans. So yeah, we'll be, it'll be another, another one of many very interesting things to watch over the, over the next decade. Um, and I think Heck, by that time, Joe, they might actually be doing the space tourism. I mean, I don't know when. Yeah. I mean, gee, know. they've only been talking about space tourism for 10 years now. Maybe they'll finally have their act together and uh, 20 Virgin years Galactic after. And Blue Origin and SpaceX. I mean, I mean, they get getting closer and closer and closer. I think to having, um, you know, people on board on those things. It's hard to believe that by 2029, you wouldn't at least be having some flights with people on it. Unless of course, you know. Didn't Virgin Galactic say that they're sending up like their first passengers this year? I, I don't know. I know that um, obviously the pilots have been into space. So, I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're making progress. Their planes don't fall bit. apart. <laughs> I almost feel a little bit like it's the kind of like the Tesla autonomous driving though. It's like, I mean, it's very aspirational, right? Absolutely. I have this by blank date, right? <laughs> but, uh, but delivering on that goal, that's a totally different animal. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not one that you want to bet on. I would, I would not be, I would, I would not be putting any of my hard earned dollars into uh, whatever they're calling themselves. Boom boom aerospace boom supersonic i would not be putting any of my hard-earned money into boom supersonic if they ever went public 
via yeah, I'd have via SPAC or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even with like Virgin Galactic, I mean, I own Space SPCE, and then um, and but I didn't buy that until I at least had a good feeling that they were going to be able to successfully have something that worked. <laughs> right. Even oh. still, I'm not so sure. Sometimes <laughs> you don't want to, you know, invest. This is important, listeners. You don't need to be the first one. I mean, sure, everybody loves to tell the story about how they bought Amazon at, you know, the first week it opened and they held it for a 40 gazillion percent return. You don't need to, you can wait and still make plenty of money. People who bought Amazon, even in the past decade, are up 100, 200% plus. So, I mean, you don't need to be the first one on board. You can let somebody else make what I call the hard money. Yeah, the the riskier money too. Yeah. 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 All right. So with that... Um, let's get into a couple of, um, a couple of kind of, uh, general questions that, that we've gotten this week. And so Todd, I'll, I'll throw these both out there and you can pick which one you want to attack first. So the, the first one, which we've, we've kind of, we've kind of danced around the topic before, and we've made a couple of suggestions in the past. Um, but, uh, just generally, uh, books about investing uh, for, especially for people who are just getting started, uh, younger folks mainly. Um, And then also another pretty general question about um, how much cash you usually keep on hand, which we've we've talked about a little bit, uh, but the interesting twist on this is um, they ask if it's more situational, which I think could be could be an interesting discussion. So you can pick which one you want to t- tackle first. Uh, well, let's just take them right in order. Okay. Sure. So best books. And actually, you know what I'll do, Joe, is I'll, um, why not? If you want to support the show, um, I'll, put, I'll put some affiliate links to some of these books that we're going to mention down below. You want to buy them through those affiliate links? Thank you. If not, that's fine too. We don't care. Um, but, you know, I would say that without a doubt, <clears throat> the Market Wizards books by Jack Schwager, those are a must read and they're tons of fun. Uh, to read. I would say, though, that I tend to get, I get more out of them after I learned about the markets. So because it's interviews with the best investors of all time, the best hedge fund managers, the best trade, and they're getting, they're in the nitty gritty of talking about strategy. Um, and so it does help. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily start with the market wizards if you have no exposure, you've never traded before or anything else, but market, the market wizards collection or series of books is definitely on the must read. Um, How I made $2 million in the stock market by Darvis is a under read, under appreciated book. Um, And what's neat about it is the strategy that Darvis outlines is buying in uptrends and adding when it breaks out into what he called a new box. He created these Darvis boxes. And when it would break out into a new box, he would add to it. So again, concentrating your holdings and winners. So you're not averaging down as it's falling. You're averaging up as it's rising. And <clears throat> you know, this was, you know, $2 million doesn't sound a lot like a lot today. What it is still is, right? But I mean, this book was written in the 1950s, I think. So I mean, we're talking back then, it was, you know, a lot of money. So I would, I would definitely, um, read that one. I think Confessions of a Street Addict um, by Jim Cramer is a great read to give you background understanding of the market, the hedge fund industry. Um, it's kind of like, a, it's, a, it's written in kind of story form. 
So it's a really interesting uh, and good book to read. That's the Jim Cramer, CNBC. Yes, of CNBC. Yep. He's got a few different books, but the the Confessions was the first one, and that's an I think that's his best to tell you the truth, um, or the one that I enjoyed the most. Peter Lynch um, wrote two books. Um, Beat the Street, I think, is one of them. Uh, that was that was my favorite. And of course, Peter Lynch talking about investing in what you know. So I mean, he was a big believer in if everybody's going to Ulta Beauty. Um, and you love your experience at Ulta Beauty, then you should own Ulta Beauty stock, that type, that type of investment. Um, so I think that that would be a really a good one. William O'Neill, probably my favorite book um, as far as I've gotten a ton out of it, is William O'Neill's book. Um, and I'm, I apologize, listeners, if I'm mixing up the titles, but if you Google, if you Google it, you'll be able to find it, William O'Neill's book. Um, I've just read so many of these books, sometimes the titles of them and the authors blend. Um, but William O'Neill kind of walks you through both the buy strategy and the sell strategy, controlling risk. And I think it's a really, really informative read. Same thing with Stan Weinstein's book. Um, really interesting to kind of, uh, if you're interested at all in technicals and charts and incorporating those into your, into your uh, strategy. Um, I think Weinstein's book is, is definitely, he talks about four stages of investing, the stage one basing, stage two acceleration, stage three topping, stage four decline. And that's a really interesting way of, of looking at the book and I, I, at the market. And I, I found that really helpful too, as well. So, I mean, I could go on Joe, and on and on because I've read so many books and there's so, there's so many good books, but that's a good, that's a good grouping, I think, for someone who gets started. You might, you might call that a smattering of books that you just gave. <laughs> smattering of reading material for the weekend, right? Um, and then the other question, Joe, was on cash. Yeah, let me, uh, let me just read this again. So the question is, I was wondering how much cash you usually like to keep on hand or if it is more situational. I think the, I think the appropriate answer to that is probably yes. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, but I think it's very definitely depends path. on the person, right? Depends on yeah, the individual. It, it, does. it does. I mean, obviously, if you're in your 401k or 403b plan and you're just going into mutual funds like the S&P 500 mutual fund, you probably don't. <clears throat> it's not worth necessarily having cash or trying to get cute with it. Don't try to time the market because you're going to be buying every month at highs and low points. And over time, as long as the market climbs, your cost basis will be lower than that. When you start getting cute with your 401k and 403b plan, then you can miss huge moves uh, because you thought you were smart. You went to cash and then we rallied and then you're like, oh, well, now what do I do? When do I buy? So in those kind of situations, I would just run fully invested knowing that you know, every pay period, you have more money running in. I have uh, most of my money in a SEP IRA, which is a type of IRA that you can use for businesses. Um, so there's always cash in an account that I can transfer into that as long as I don't exceed the, you know, regulatory maximum, which I think is like 55 grand a year or 20% of your net income, I think. Double check, double check these numbers, people. I'm not, I'm not an accountant, uh, but I can transfer money into them um, that way. Um, but in the account, I will situationally rotate my cash up and down depending on what the research is telling us. Free trial below. Uh, so if the research is getting very extended, if my gut is starting to keep me up, wake me up early in the morning, if 
you know, if I just feel like we're, we've had a big move and we're at risk, I will sell into the strength. And I have no problem going up to 20, 30% cash in those situations. Then as we get an opportunity, redeploying that money into whatever's high scoring in the research or whatever I'm finding on through FinTwit or through my other services or anything else um, to get myself back to mostly fully invested, which is where I sit today. Um, and the, the, this is actually really timely, Joe, because I've been actually modeling how I want to play out for the summer. And, you know, I'd raised some cash and then I deployed that last month. We've had a nice lift again. And I think I'll probably be raising cash in another couple of weeks. So I'll probably be looking more at places where I can free up some cash and rebuild that dry powder for another leg down, maybe in late summer or early fall, which is seasonally what tends to end up happening with the markets. You know, the, the, they tend to get sluggish in the summer months and then put in some sort of a, an actual bottom, say in September, or early October. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about, and that's kind of how I think about cash generally. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's helpful for, for people to hear. Um, we've, yeah, we've talked a lot about, about seasonality in, in the past. And so I think, I think it's probably safe to say that's more or less your, your biggest overall factor in your, in your cash position. Correct me if I'm, if I'm inaccurate there. Um, it's a little bit inaccurate. I mean, I will use it, um, but it's certainly not the only thing, the only reason that I would raise cash. Like in February of 2020, the seasonality was excellent. Right. <clears throat> you know, you should have strong seasonality through spring, but I went to like, I think I was like 50% cash by the end of February. So it's, it's so I, I'd say it's data dependent, depending on many things. It can be seasonality. It can just be your gut. It can be, you know, when you see speculative frenzy, um, there can be any number of reasons why you do it. Um, but I think that the important thing for me is that as you get your legs under underneath you as an investor, if you're actively investing um, day in, day out, watching AMC trade like a maniac or whatever, um, you start to get a sixth sense, if you will, for when things are just too easy. Right. And when it's getting too easy to make money, that should be kind of a signal to you that, oh, well, this is getting a little bit probably frothy and we're due for, you know, some, some form of a, of a, you know, a pullback. Yeah. Can I pick your brain a little bit more on that, on your move in February, 2020? Cause I think that, I think that's really, really interesting that you, that you had the, that you had that much foresight into kind of what, what was coming like, did you, were, was it entirely pandemic related? Like you, you no. saw, no, no. So what was it then? I'm, no, you now I'm even more curious. Yeah. Because I actually, I think if you, if I go back to 2020, I look at my trade blogs. Um, I actually started, it was late January. So yeah, we, we kind of were getting an inkling that there was some sort of a, a COVID thing, but I don't think that really that was weighing on people as much until probably mid-February. Um, for me, Joe, it was our overbought, oversold indicator. You know, and I, I talked about anchoring and that, like now we've kind of dislocated from what would have got me to sell, what, what got me to start raising cash in January, 2020 was that we were uh, banging on, I think 50% of the universe trading more than 5% above the 200 day moving average. Yep. And going back to 2013, the only other time that had happened was 2018 when we actually 
put in an, a peak and have that sharp sell-off in the November, December, and then January, I think of 2019, we started to rally again. So I was looking at that and saying, yeah, we are frothy, we are overbought, and I am nervous about it. Um, so I was already in the mindset to start raising cash. Uh, and then of course, maybe COVID accelerated, you know, my, my decision to do that, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't at the beginning of, it wasn't what was, what instigated the move. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's, it, it certainly, certainly saved your behind at least somewhat getting. Yeah, it gave me some great entries. To, you know, yeah. I mean, I was buying with, I, there's a tweet that I did. You can still find it in March, mid-March of 2020. I was like, put some money, any money, a little bit of money, spend some money, you know, buy some of these stocks because the amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus that's going to be coming because of the COVID shutdown is going to blow you away. It's going to blow your mind. And absolutely, that's what happened. And it wasn't rocket science. I wasn't, I was just looking back to 2008, 2009 and having survived that mess and seeing how you know, in 2008, they were letting, they were still trying to figure out, do we let companies fail? Do we not let them fail? Should we really be pressing how on the accelerator? How hard should we be pressing on the accelerator? And I just, in my bones knew that, hey, those lessons were learned in 2008, 2009. They're not going to mess around. They're just going to go in guns blazing and, and prop up this economy. And sure enough, that's what would have happened. But it wasn't because I'm so sort of <laughs> brilliant tea leaf right yeah todd's todd's not a wizard he's he just yeah. he yeah he got a a little bit lucky and yeah knew kind of had had just enough foresight but not in any not in any sort of witchy wizardy way believe, no no that's me. just that was just a matter of um having been there done that and survived through one really crazy period and thinking oh, what's likely to happen in dc this crazy period exactly so I think it's, I think it's smattering time. What do you say? All right. Okay. So I went through and I found us 10, 10 stocks that I think that basically for whatever reason, they, they were ringing bells for me. You know, I was like, the way I do this listeners, just to go back in time for a second is we produce a large cap, a mid cap and a small cap ranking every week. And we also do a custom screen. It's best stocks by sector. So I can go right down and I can look at basic materials and consumer goods and energy stocks and financials. And, and I can go through there and say, okay, of all of these stocks that score really high in the research right now, which of them check mark the boxes that I like, which of them look, look, look good. Now, as a refresher, I've said this before, I'm most often I'm story first and technical second. So I use charts to help me with entry points. Um, sometimes I'll find ideas just by looking at charts, but I like to have a good story and then I like to figure out my entry points for charts. So when you hear me talking about these stocks, you uh, oftentimes I'll say, well, this, these are different things, characteristics that I happen to like about it. And I kind of have like this setup or if this happens, then maybe I would look at it. So it's a long, kind of a long introduction to the 10 ideas, uh, introduction to the 10 ideas, Joe, but I wanted to um, just go ahead and, and, and say that. So I still got the AMC chart up. Uh, again, listeners, we do um, post these on YouTube if you want to follow along with the charts. Uh, first stock that I wanted to mention was Albemarle. Albemarle. And Albemarle is high scoring in our basics uh, industry. And Joe, the story here is lithium. Lithium and bromine. And, you know, lithium is used in the manufacturing of batteries, um, in, you know, ele electronic vehicles, Joe. They're, they, they, demand for them is going through the roof. 
production of them is going through the roof. And as a result, lithium demand is going through the roof. And then bromine is used in things like flame retardant for, you know, so like if you've got, um, I don't know, like cell phone cases and, you know, things where you need to really, you know, make sure that the temperature isn't igniting something. Uh, so textiles, that type of thing. And that's more tied to GDP expansion. So if GDP is expanding, then demand for bromine is expanding. And I think that roughly 30% of revenue at Albemarle comes from lithium and roughly 30% comes from bromine. And then the rest is just cobbled together from other businesses. And you can see in the most recent quarter, uh, quarter ending March 31st, Joe, Albemarle's sales were up 12% year over year to 829 million. Uh, I believe that I, when I was looking at the earnings release earlier today, lithium sales were up 17% year over year. So growing a little bit faster than that rate. And then I think bromine was growing in the low 20%, something like that. So good strength from both of them, pretty well balanced. Earnings per share in 2021 expected to be 364. In 2022, rising 40% to $5.08. Albemarle is you know, investing in production to boost their production. Prices are pretty strong for these uh, things. So my expectation is that you're going to see revenue accelerate from here and be able to deliver on that earnings. I love the setup, Joe, with the saucer bottom. So, I mean, I, the chart that I'm showing, I've got uh, the technicals enabled through MarketSmith. So this is showing you this nice saucer bottom. And actually it looks like, Joe, we might be putting in a little bit of a handle. So a cup and handle would be if you have this saucer and then you form kind of a downward, it's gotta be facing downward people. You can't, some people try to call handles when they're flat or uh, it, it, true handle is down, pointing down. Um, so I would be looking to buy it somewhere hidden here, maybe the 160, low 160s. Um, I might not want to get too cute with it though, Jojo, because another thing I like to look at is the volume, as you know, and there's just no volume on down days. I mean, the volume on down days is half that on up days and the update volume on the last two up days was greater than the average volume over the last I think it's 90 days is what the average volume is. So first stock today, symbol ALB, Albemarle. Next up, oh, you, I don't know if you're sleeping on one of these or not. <laughs> I think I am actually. Temper Sealy. Not the stock itself, that is. <laughs> right, right, right. But the mattress. Uh, right. Symbol there is TPX, so Tom Peter X-Ray. Um, again, top line growth, 27% year over year. Bottom line growth expected to grow 42% on the earnings per share in 21 and 14% in 22. And I guess the story, Joe, here would be simply consumer discretionary spending. You know, I mean, wages are higher. People have more money in their banks because they didn't spend a lot of money last year uh, going out to restaurants and things. And people are buying a lot of houses and no one really wants to move their old gross mattress into their new house. They're gonna go out and they're gonna buy a new mattress. So. Um, you know, again, you've, you're, you've got to get this range that you're between 35 bucks and 41 bucks. It's trading is about the middle of it. Um, I'd be looking to buy this anywhere in here, actually. You know, it's at 38 right now. If you get another two to 3% down day, gets you down to 36 and some change. Um, yeah, I'd be looking to pick it up there. And then again, Joe, just looking at this volume, no sell day volume. So as it's retreating here, there's really no volume. There's no, no excitement or need to get out of it. So we already established that Joe's sleeping on a temper ceiling. Uh, he, may, <laughs> he may be, you know, going to the gym or going out for a run and wearing uh, Under Armour. 
symbol UA. Um, so UA is another one. And what's interesting to me about UA is Joe, when was the last, maybe you're gonna be the difference here than me, but when was the last time you bought something that was Under Armour? Last time I bought something that was Under Armour. It's it's tough to say, but probably, it's probably been a couple of years. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, they had an inventory glut, so you know it was it was considered to be this premier athletic wear, right? And then they had an inventory glut because a whole bunch of sports, uh, sporting goods stores went out of business, and there was a ton of extra inventory kicking around. Right. So they had to discount the like crazy to move the stuff out. It kind of lost kind of that premium feel, and at the same time, some of these other athletic wear companies, Nike, etc., were innovating to play catch up to some of these more breathable fabrics and everything else, right? So there was a lot of short interest in Under Armour and there still is a lot of short interest today. And it kind of lost, again, there was that inventory glut. That's now kind of been worked through, Joe. The inventory thing, it, I think that's a, a that's yesterday's story. And I think that, you know, if you look at the year over year growth in the March quarter, 35% revenue growth year over year in the March quarter. And next year, Earnings per share supposed to grow 41% uh, to 48 cents per share. So I just took a quick look here and you're still eight days to cover short. So at an average daily trading volume, it would take you eight days for all the people who are short to cover it. So when this is the this is exactly why I like our scoring system, Joe, because it highlights these ideas that maybe I wouldn't be thinking of otherwise. And you don't want to go out and buy a stock just simply because it has a high short interest. But when all of these other things are coming together and you have a high short interest, the moves can be pretty powerful. Sitting right on the 50 day. Yeah, I would buy it here and just see what happens and I can control my risk somewhere under 18 bucks if I wanna run a stop loss underneath it. Next one up, Celsius, energy drinks. Joe, the story here is number of doors. Okay, so this was available in you know gyms, but now you're able to find it in grocery stores and increasingly in convenience stores. And I think that they said at the end of the first quarter that they're, you know, in like 92,000 stores. Wow. 140,000. If you include grocers and convenience stores, there's almost 200,000 stores in the United States. So the state, they could still double the number of doors that they're into. And then remember, once you're in the door, if you're selling, you can get allocated more shelf space. So now you can right. have mango and strawberry and you know all of your different flavors so i don't want to say this is exactly like a monster was but this is relatively early in you know its penetration of the market sales were up 78 percent year over year in the march quarter earnings per share expected to more than double in 2022 just broke out to a new high, Joe. And this setup right here, if you're watching, um, if you're listening, go back and find us on YouTube, uh, Limelight Alpha, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, uh, Talking Socks, Limelight Alpha on YouTube, so you can see these charts. But you can, this is, I love this setup. You had this big breakout yesterday, Joe, on really heavy volume. And then you're pulling back today to the top of that pivot. So this, if I didn't own this stock already, and I do own it, uh, this, I would be, I'd be buying it today to see what, to see what happened from here. Energy stocks, Joe, been scoring high in our research for a while. I noted last weekend in a short that I did for YouTube that 
Um, it, the, the XLE and the OIH, which are the ETFs for energy, had pulled back. We're sitting on their 21-day moving averages, and it was kind of make or break. Well, they made. <laughs> it was make. It was make. These things, there's so many energy stocks broke out this week. Uh, it's crazy. So a lot of them are hitting new highs, but there are two here that I wanted to, well, yeah, two here that I wanted to highlight. Occidental Petroleum being the first. Again, Joe, look at the last seven, eight trading days here. No appetite to sell shares. The volume is so low. Again, the revenue here is not going to be up year over year, right? Because they still, you're going to see the prices is going to take a little time to flow through and then they're going to have to increase production and then you'll see the revenue come in. So your revenue and the earnings don't really look good right now, but you know, we are seeing this rotation to mid business cycle inflationary type plays and Occidental Petroleum would benefit if that's going to continue. So that's one of them. The other is a subsea energy service company called Technet uh, FMC, which was formed by the merger of Technic and FMC a few years back. But they do a lot of subsea connect like umbilicals and remotely operated vehicles that are operating in these harsh environments, think like underwater, Gulf of Mexico, whatever, looking to extract oil and um, out of, you know, in these, in these uh, extract oil that way. Offshore energy service had absolutely gotten destroyed um, after oil peaked in the last run up and fell. These things got really, really washed out. And now they're starting to see life again. And I think that I wouldn't buy it today because you went from, you know, it looks like nine bucks to you went up almost 15% in the course of the last trading day, two trading days. So I'd maybe let it come in again, get it below 10 bucks again, and then go ahead and grab some shares of that one as well. Health equity, HQY Joe is next up. And this is what, think of um, your uh, health savings accounts, that type of thing. So again, you know, basically allows consumers to manage their healthcare costs or out-of-pocket costs um, through HSAs and that type of thing, flex spending accounts and all that. So, you know, again, get the saucer forming, you get a nice down day, maybe putting in a handle. That's a nice um, looking chart. Yeah, I mean, this is ton, tons of buy day volume, uh, very few down days, uh, and potentially healthcare reform some at some point that, that could open up demand or increase demand for HQY's offerings. Also in healthcare, Joe, AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, huge global uh, pharmaceutical company, does pay dividends. So if you're out there listening, this is from our dividend best and worst list, pays a 2.4% forward yield. Um, you had this nice breakout above the 200-day moving average. It's growing 15% year over year in the most recent quarter. Earnings per share expected to go up 26% next year. And you pulled right back to that 21-day moving average. Again, this is the entry point I would take. Take it here, and then you can control your risk from here. Two more stocks, Joe, and then we'll call it quits. Guess. So again, when was the last time, kind of like Under Armour, you bought anything from Guess, right? Well, their sales doubled year over year in the March quarter. And their earnings per share expected to grow 24% next year. And again, pulled back, broke out, pulled back, sitting right on the 21 day moving average. Um, Guesses is the name I would pick up here. And uh, you'd think they would benefit Joe as people are looking to try and get dressed again in something exactly. other than sweats and pajamas. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was thinking about that as you as you started saying it. Like it, it would be interesting the the other um, the other other manufacturers out there who who are public who are you know in the kind of formal wear sort of sector, if you will, I guess. 
Like, yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, I'm like, going, yeah, I'm going to a wedding this weekend, one. and it's been God only knows how how long since like this place that's hosting the wedding has had a wedding. It's just really, really interesting. It'll it'll be interesting to see their um, their sales volume this year compared to last. Yeah, and the other thing with guest Joe, similar to Underarm, six days still to cover short. So you know, there's there's still that opportunity for this to have tailwinds because people are like get are, are caught flat-footed by the the return of sales growth for this company. So guess, and then the final one, and I kind of mentioned it earlier in the show, uh, Joe, uh, but that's Ulta Beauty. U L T A is the symbol there. Uh, and I'm not sure if I said guess is symbol, G-E-S was the symbol in guess. So Ulta Beauty symbol U-L-T-A. And Joe, this is one of those Peter Lynch kind of stories for me anyways. Um, you know, my wife started talking about Ulta and how she was, oh, I got to go to Ulta, I'll be back or whatever. And, you know, yeah, she's not alone because sales were up 65% year over year in the quarter ending April 30th. And this is a very profitable company. It's gonna earn 13, well, projection is for fiscal 2023, 1380 per share, um, up 16%, following a more than doubling of earnings per share in fiscal 2022. And then Joe, kind of like I've said before, you've got this gap after reported earnings, high volume buying, right? Gapped up to its old high, 350, roughly 351. And now you're retreating and look how that volume is drying up on those down days. So my guess would be, yeah, take it right around in here in the 325 to 330 range and then see if you can get it uh, move back up to new highs. Great. Is that, that's 10. That's I wasn't 10. counting, but I'll trust that that was 10. Awesome. So I think we'll leave it there for the week. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put a bunch of, a bunch of links in the, in the show notes here. Uh, we'll get, we'll get you some links to those, uh, to those excellent books. Um, if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube yet, uh, please do. We are, we're really, really ramping up our, our presence on YouTube, uh, and publishing rather than the whole episode, we're trying to get these individual segments. So like the smattering that we just did will be up there and the, the piece on AMC will be up there and, and so on and so forth. So that's, uh, that's, that'll be an exciting, exciting uh, place to watch. Uh, our subscriber base is growing very quickly. We're very excited about it. And yeah, we, we hope, to, hope to keep it going. So I think we'll leave it there. Todd, have a great weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.